Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather. And I'm Mark, and we are your co-hosts. And we're here to take a look back into the Jewish roots of our faith. For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. Hey everyone, welcome back to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. We're so excited to be here with you today. I have my friend Heather, like normal. Hey. (laughs) And we have our friend John here to speak with us today as well. Yeah, and John is my friend. I actually went to Israel with John in 2011. Uh, John works on staff with Athletes in Action. He is the founder of Walk the Story, which is an organization that takes groups of people to Israel and helps them experience the Bible in a way that would be as if you were a first century disciple walking the land of Israel. And that's a trip I went on with John in 2011 that radically changed my life. And so we're here to have John talk with us today about the fifth gospel um, being the land of Israel. And so John has a lot of experience in this because he studied at uh, JUC in Jerusalem, has a degree in Middle Eastern studies and biblical geography and church history. And so, John, would you just real briefly kind of share with us how you got started on this Jewish roots journey? You shared with us in the pre-show a little bit about about uh, about that. Well, basically, I just had lots of theological questions. And naturally, I thought that a logical place to go to would be to a seminary. And as I'm going through seminary, and I'm literally asking questions, like one of the questions I always ask professors of, so when Jesus says, um, the kingdom advances violently and violently men take hold of it. What does that mean? And I literally would ask that question to almost anybody with a biblical degree that I could find, and no one could give me a, a satisfying answer. And you know, I was, <laughs> was asking different questions that seminary was not answering. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was at my in-laws, and my wife said, hey, my mom got these new videos by this guy named Ray Vandalon. Do you want to watch one? And I said, sure. So she puts one in, and the very first lesson's on Tel Gezer. And RVL basically lays out an argument to explain the importance of the land from a geographical, historical perspective. Why was it important for the Israelites to take all the land all the way to the coast to, to get on the coastal highway to be a billboard for God? And I'm like, okay, this makes sense to me. It's tactile. It, it, it's geographical. It makes complete sense. This yeah. is what I thought of in seminary and got none of. Yeah. And so I remember when we were getting ready to go to Israel and I remember having a phone conversation with you back in 2011 before I hopped on that plane and and landed in uh, Tel Aviv. And you said, Heather, I believe that every pastor, every church worker needs to go to Israel. And I remember sitting there on that statement thinking, huh, I wonder why. So (laughs) and I totally got it once I went there. But can you tell us from your perspective, from your study in Jerusalem, for your time walking the land countless times and bringing groups over and over again, bringing church workers, you know, we've got youth workers who are listening. Why, John, do they need to go to Israel? Wow. Well, it's obviously life-changing. You said the bottom line is that your Bible is a real story that took place in a real time with real people who are being engaged and challenged by God to move forward the kingdom of God. And when you see it in its context, both culturally, historically, and geographically, it just puts a fuller, fuller orb sense of the story at a heart level. And oftentimes, no offense to our theology, our theology is fantastic, but sometimes it just hits our head, but doesn't hit our heart. Mm-hmm. And when you really understand that David was in the desert and that God almost takes almost every major biblical character 
that God uses in the Bible spends time in the desert. And the question is why? Mm-hmm. And when you're there all day long and you're thirsty and you're hot and you're tired and you realize you need it for dependency on something or somebody else and you and God wants our, obviously our dependency to turn to him. But when you mm-hmm. feel that, that for yourself, that's an emotional deep-rooted connectedness with your heart, with the text, that no theology will really give you. And, right. and again, theology is aiming at the, at the left side of our brains, and, and walking Israel aims at the right side of our brains, which is all about experience, and that experience being grounded and rooted in the text, which is grounded and rooted into the reality of who God is, which also is grounded and rooted in our theology. It's just our theology comes out of that experience, not the other way around. Yeah, and, which is so opposite of our culture, right? We often think that our theology comes out of not so much our experience, but what we study and what we know and what we can check off of a box, right? Like, well, I know that Jesus is God and I know that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, right? But I hear you saying that it's something more than that. Yeah, it is. It's more than that. It's also that. It's 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 never, it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. It's everything. However, the, the, the rabbis have got a statement that if you capture the head, the heart may follow. But if you capture the heart, the head always follows. Mm. And, and, and not that I want to get hung up on an experience, because and I'm not against charismatics. I'm not a charismatic myself. I'm not trying to be anti-charismatic. But sometimes when evangelicals that are very theologically focused hear the word experience, that kind of like, you know, starts to make them have convulsions. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so it's, it's both and it's not either or. Is however, I think in sometimes our Western mindset of theology, we can get so stuck on, if I just believe all the right things, someday when I die, it's all going to make sense, mm-hmm. which is true. However, how do we get from A to Z? Like, how, how do you survive those intermediate years? And yet the reality of the universe, the re- reality of God is God came down and intersected with the universe, and he put himself incarnationally into the world in a time and a place that was what it was. And yet he also says he's here now. So how do we experience God in the here and now and not just some theological great insurance policy we have for the future? And I think this is missing links that connects those two. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a a church historian, Jerome, I remember you telling us this in Israel. He said that the land was the fifth gospel. And you talked with us about that while we were in Israel, too. And can you help us better understand what do you what do you think he meant by that? Well, real briefly, St. Jerome, he lived in the end of the third or the middle of the third to the beginning of the fourth century. And he basically translated the Bible straight from Hebrew into the Latin, where before most people would translate from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, into into Latin. And so he actually went and learned Hebrew in Bethlehem. According to tradition, he actually sat in the cave that Jesus was born in and and did the translational work from the original Hebrew into Latin. And of course, with any language, it's called a heart language. There's a feeling, there's an understanding of the language that that can't get conveyed completely in words. It's a feeling. And so by getting getting a, a literal feel for the language of Hebrew in Israel, it helped him to understand how to translate into the Latin. And that's kind of the essence of what he's talking about. And only by being there, per se, can you really understand that. Mm-hmm. And having yeah. traveled to 30 different countries with athletes in action, you know, every culture has their own heart language. And so when you tap into that, that's how you want to share the gospel. And so if you don't know somebody's heart language, it's going to be difficult to communicate, you know, at that level. So on that note, then, you know, when it comes to youth workers and, you know, I feel like at least from my perspective or what I've kind of gathered in talking with different youth workers around the country, there seems to be a 
uh, maybe an unsettledness of knowing how to truly make disciples. How does an experience like going to Israel better help a youth worker know how to truly understand the model of discipleship that Jesus had with his young group of disciples? Well, that's the first thing right there is they're young. I mean, right there, most yeah. churches basically placate children and say, someday this is going to be important to you. I mean, e- even our church at one point had a separate youth service, separate from the adult service. And what, what we what we unintentionally communicate uh, to our youth is that when you become an adult, this will be meaningful to you. Or when you become an adult, you can contribute. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't. We would never say that verbally out loud, but everything we do non-verbally, in a sense, communicates that to our youth. So consequently, they don't take themselves very seriously about their spirituality because they they table it. You know, someday, you know, it'll mean something. Mm-hmm. However, when you realize that the disciples were most likely teenagers, and that Jesus took not only teenagers but the C student teenagers mm-hmm. to change the world, yeah, what. Well, it's amazing when I share that with young people, you could see their own sense of, of worth and value uh, rise in their own eyes, and, their own, and they raise their own expectations of themselves. And so when, when we start taking ourselves uh, more seriously spiritually, in a sense, younger, not waiting till someday, I think that's the first roadblock for youth workers to get past. One is really taking that, owning that and communicating that sense of ownership to young people. And then the second one is to be the Don Quixote to go tackle the senior pastor and say, how do we integrate youth more into our, our normal everyday way of doing life as a church? For sure. For That's sure. beautiful, John. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, I know when I went to Israel, I just became overwhelmed by how much I didn't know. And that sent me on a quest to know more. And it made me hungry to want to understand the Old Testament. I thought the Old Testament was really old. And uh, I didn't understand. <laughs> I mean, just being real, right? I remember sitting on a couch in Bethlehem, like, after. Well, it is really it. old. <laughs> it's true. It is really old. Thanks. <laughs> but I just remember sitting there Thank in Bethlehem. Thanks. Appreciate that. And I was like, wow. I, I was overwhelmed by how wrong I had been for so many years. And so, you know, from from taking these different um, groups and people to Israel, how have you seen people start to read their Bibles differently and start to understand the Old and New Testament differently after spending time in Israel? Well, RVL made his students, when he was teaching Bible class, um, rip out the whole divider that says New Testament. And so when you start reading the book as one book, that's really important. And mm-hmm. it's not two different books. It's not old and new. It's one story, <laughs> and it's been going on for quite a while. And that's the first step, is to, is to not see that. Then the second step is to try to realize that there was hermeneutical principles that were well-established by the time of Jesus that were used by the rabbis in that time period and how they, how they formulated theology. And so when I, I don't want to formulate read my Bible through the eyes of John Piper, per se, not that that's bad mm-hmm. or good. I want to try to understand the Bible from a first century hermeneutical perspective. How would yeah. somebody use the Bible back then mm-hmm. to, to further God's story? So I always tell people that you have three moving targets when you read the Bible. One is the Old Testament passage that was written to a specific audience with the specific uh, circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like take the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's writing in Hezekiah's time. They're dealing with the Sennacherib Assyrian invasion and all that kind of stuff. Well, then how do the New Testament writers 
use Isaiah to communicate a deeper truth of what God's doing. And then the third moving target is us, because everyone here is not the same. You will not be the same person tomorrow morning when you wake up than you were this morning. So we are a dynamic process of reading the Bible. I don't read the Bible the same way today as I did when 30 years ago. And hopefully I'll say the same thing. If God gives me 30 more years, I'll say the same thing 30 years from now, because I'm a dynamic part of the process. Sure. Hebrew is changing. Hebrew is growing and understanding what biblical Hebrew. If you're if you keep up with biblical Hebrew, there's nuances to translational issues that are constantly happening. So and this historical understanding of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all that kind of stuff. So th- that's why I say there's three moving targets because our understanding of the time period of the seventh century is constantly being renuanced. How we understand the New Testament writers is constantly being renuanced. And every day I'm being, in a sense, renuanced with my understanding and perspective of I have. Sure. Yeah. So, so we're planning on taking a trip to Israel with you in 2022, a youth workers only trip in August, which we would totally love for all of you to join us uh, on that journey. So, John, can you tell us what who would be uh, the right kind of person or who would be a person that would really benefit from that trip to Israel? Well, first of all, everybody, but (laughs) down a little bit. (laughs) I mean, somebody who really wants to understand your Bible and somebody who wants to come and maybe ask all the all the hard questions that you've been afraid to ask, because if you ask them the wrong setting, you'd be shamed. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted yeah. to, we, we try to create a very safe environment where there's zero that's off t- off topic. You can't, you can ask anything you want. And um, your senior and pastor the, won't be there either. That's right. Exactly. You know, no one, no one's salvation is going to be on the line if you ask a question. Um, if, if the senior pastor comes, Mark will kick him off the bus. It's totally fine. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's it because we have all these questions and I, and again, I, I'm, I deal with, I'm teaching a group of senior high school boys at a Christian school down the road right now. And they ask all kinds of questions I can't answer every day, but yeah. sometimes just having the safe environment where they ask a question and you go, you know what? I have the same question too. And I'm a lot older than you. And so like we're on this, we're on the same journey together. And sometimes the questions are never going to be answerable. Um, and that's okay. And, and cause God is a mystery and yeah. that's kind of where Western theology tries to erase all that. But mm-hmm. long story short though, is anybody who's got questions and you want to understand your Bible better and you want to understand how to teach your Bible better and you want to make your Bible three dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like I really believe we work really hard to make the Bible boring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating <laughs> when you put it in context, like I'm getting ready to teach the young men about the parable of Jesus about building that house upon the sand. Mm-hmm. Well, when you go to Israel and you realize that the only place where there's sand in Israel is at the bottom of a wadi that has flash floods, well, then it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be an idiot to build your house down there. And it is yeah. going to wash. I can remember sitting as a teenager reading that story in Michigan where I grew up. How in the world are floods in the desert? Yeah. Like, like that one idea alone if, if realizing how that stuff happens in Israel, and that's not hyperbole, it wasn't poetic structure, it wasn't Jesus making up a parable yeah. in that moment. It was real. That's a yeah. real dynamic that everybody there would have understood, yeah. but I don't. Yeah, and I remember you telling us so many different things like that. I remember we would do this thing where you would have us like throw our hands up in the air and do a little dance, right? And we would all spin <laughs> In this circle where, you know, like we would have this Bible moment where like something wild and crazy would happen from a first century perspective. And we would all be like, you know, and that was just 
happening all the time. I remember the story of Lazarus, Lazarus and then the death of Jesus and the timing of how the shofar would blow on the temple and all this other crazy stuff where there was all these connections in my head that just my brain started to explode like a million different times over there in the land of Israel. And I just remember thinking to myself, why didn't somebody tell me this stuff earlier? And I just know that if a youth worker would hop on that plane with us and get there to Israel in here in about a little over a year, that they're going to have that same experience. And our, our prayer and our hope is that they'll come back with that same type of passion to teach their students, um, uh, the Bible from that first century perspective and see those treasures start to jump off the page, um, from their, from their hearts and into their mouths and then off of their mouths and into their students' hearts. And that's, that's our prayer and that's our hope. So we hope that you'll join us here in August of 2022. So, uh, Mark, anything else before we wrap up the show today? I would just underscore what John said that we work really hard to make the Bible boring, but Honestly, as a youth pastor, when I was young, that was, that was what I thought. I fundamentally thought there were Mm -hmm. important things that people needed to know about God and what Jesus had done for them, but that the Bible was essentially boring and it was my job to somehow make it fun for kids. Yeah. It's such an honor if you came home from our trip, loving to read the Bible and finding it fascinating and you won't be able to help, but give that to your kids. That's if right. That, if you're transformed, you will transform them, form them in that way. So yeah. We well, were, and I, w- I would also add on top of all this is that when yeah. you come home from this trip, it's just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. Oh, and yeah. the fact that you have Mark, you'd have Mark and Heather with you to walk you through when you came back on the trip to help you process, dig deeper. That's huge. Um, in fact, my mentor won't take just random groups of people to Israel anymore because he doesn't think it's healthy. Wow. So to go with people that you're going to be able to come back to home with and decompress process and grow together with is, is a huge blessing. And that, that makes it a complete package for yeah. sure. Well, Hey, Absolutely. uh, pastors, if you want to get started right now, like if you want to start to learn right now more about the context of Jesus and how to teach and make disciples like Jesus did head over to first century youth ministry.com. We have tons of resources going up all the time You can pick up a copy of Heather's book there, which I maintain is one of the best practical books on discipling your students like Jesus out there. And I don't really know too many other people that have tried to write one, to be quite honest. So I would pick it up. Every time it comes up in the Facebook groups, there's like 70 comments about how helpful (laughs) it was. So get your book. Uh, Seriously, it's like spend $15 to become an awesome discipler of students. And then uh, we've got some courses and coaching programs we're working on uh, coming down the pipe that are baller. So firstcenturyyouthministry.com. And thank you so much, John, for your time. And we're so pumped to go to the land with you. Yeah. So if you're interested in joining us on this trip or you just want to learn a little bit more about the trip, um, hop over to firstcenturyyouthministry.com and you can contact us there. You can sign up for our newsletter. And we would love to get to know you a little bit more and see if maybe we'll see you in Tel Aviv here in a little bit. Uh, So, John, thanks again for joining us. See ya. Bye. See you, everyone.